uh, lead in to what we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 1. If you're able, go ahead and stand with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It's really short. You're going to want to get there, give you a moment. If you have one of the black hardcover Bibles, that's page 978. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, I'll read it, follow along, and as I read, remember, we're reading God's word. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's God's word. You can be seated. You know, did I really need to stand up for that? Yes, you did. That's God's word, every verse of it. Uh, before we dive in, into uh, our, our message today and our, our uh, topic, I, I want to just remind you about a couple things uh, to be praying for. I'd love for you to be praying for these. The first is, uh, along with our 5 o'clock service here, please do be praying for that. Uh, next week also is the launch of Redemption Peoria. Uh, Redemption Peoria launches next week at the Peoria Arts Center. I know at least of a few people that are going to be taking some family who aren't connected to a church. They're going to take them over there and introduce them to that church. And what a cool opportunity to do that. So if you have friends on the west side, uh, be sure to let them know. You can go to peoria.redemptionaz.com and get all the information there. You can share it. Please do on social media and other stuff. Let people know about that. Uh, That's coming. And then also next week with the launch of our new service and the launch of that across Redemption, we're going to come back together and study a book of the Bible. Bible. We're going to be looking at the gospel according to Mark uh, beginning next week. That'll take us most of the year, and it'll just be an incredible opportunity to look at Jesus and who he is. If you want to start reading uh, the gospel of Mark, please, uh, please get a head start and, and go for it. So that's where we'll be headed. Um, today we're going to talk uh, for this last uh, message in our uh, other 167 series. We're going to talk about work. This series, if you're just joining us, has been about the other 167 hours of the week. We've said there are 168 hours in a week. Maybe one of them is spent here. So what does life look like? How does faith integrate with life? How do we honor God the other 167? So we've looked at marriage, we've looked at parenting, we've looked at money, and today we look at work. You know, I want to share with you one of the dumbest questions I've ever been asked. People say there's no stupid questions, just stupid people. I don't know if that's true, but I I remember a question that I really just thought was a dumb question. Um, And the the context of it was um, I was going through a a church planting assessment process. So essentially what that means is is, uh, I was part of the initial group that helped start this church six years ago. And whenever someone starts a new church, like Sean Meyer starting Redemption Peoria or uh, Sean... uh, Mortensen starting Redemption Scottsdale later this year, whatever. These guys always go through an assessment process. And the assessment processes vary, but it's essentially designed to try to figure out, is this person called to this work? Is this what they should do? Will they be successful? Is their past track, track record indicate that church planning would be a good endeavor for them? That sort of a thing. And in that process, I got asked one, one of what I think is the dumbest questions I've ever been asked. And the question was this. Would it be a sin for you to not start a new church? Would it be a sin for you to not plant or start a new church? That was the question. Now, the idea of the question was, we want to know how committed are you to this? 
right? Because starting a new endeavor of any kind, but in church it's true as well, starting a new endeavor is hard. It's difficult. And you face opposition. And you face difficulty. And there's times when it just doesn't go very well. And they want to know, how committed are you to this? How called by God are you to this? Are you so convinced that this is what you should do that it would be a sin for you not to do it? That's the basis of the question. Now, I appreciate the heart behind the question, but I think it's a dumb question. Would it be a sin for me to not start a church? No. That's what I said. No, I don't think it would be a sin. And and here's the reason. I think there's a lot of things I could do with my life that would be good and honor God. I don't think that only church work is what honors God. Right? I remember a time, it was June 30th, 2004, I worked for B2P Commerce, selling accounting software. July 1st, 2004, I worked for East Valley Bible Church. When I woke up on the 1st, I don't think God had a bigger smile on his face because I was headed to work for the church than I was for the software company. But that's how most people think of it, isn't it? If we're honest, wouldn't we say, if we could kind of poke around in our hearts, wouldn't we say that, that deep down we really believe that God is happier with missionaries, with church planters, and with social work, and with those that feed the hungry, and with pastors and church workers? Wouldn't we say God is more happy with them than, say, software salesmen, firemen, account executives, painters, pilots. Deep down, we believe that. Why? Now, now get this. There are some jobs that inherently dishonor God. Right? If you, introduce, if you meet someone at a Super Bowl party tonight and you say, hey, what do you do for a living? And they say, I'm a bank robber. <laughs> okay, it doesn't matter if they demonstrate kindness and ingenuity and creativity in robbing a bank, it's wrong, right? It's inherently a profession based on sin. It's a disobedient thing to do that, right? So there are some professions that are inherently wrong no matter how you do them. The question I've been wrestling with, and I've asked some guys this this week, is the, is the converse true as well? That there are some professions that are inherently right and honoring to God no matter how you do them. I don't think there are. I think the reason we believe that is because a Western Enlightenment, sacred and secular mindset has creeped into our lives and creeped into our hearts, right? I can be a pastor and be lazy, be apathetic, be uncaring, be unskilled. And yet the fact that I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm honoring God in my work. It just simply means I'm dishonoring God in the work that I should be honoring him with. In the same way, if you're a painter, can you honor God by the way you work? Yes. But why don't we really believe that? So what I want to encourage us with today, and I hope that today, more than anything, is encouraging. There may be some parts of it that convict you a little bit, and you go, oh, i gotta, got to think about that, i got to grow in that area. But I hope it's encouraging to you today to realize that if you're not in a profession that's inherently sinful, right, bank robber, prostitute, we could go on, you can wrestle with, you know, some of those things. 
If you're not in one of those, you have the opportunity to honor God in your work. Now, some of you, I realize, you, you don't have a job where you get paid for your work. You're maybe a stay-at-home mom or a grandma, or maybe you're taking care of in a significant way for a loved one who is, who's aging or dying. That is your work. Maybe you're a student. You don't get paid for your work unless you get good grades. Maybe your mom and dad have a thing worked out for that. But if you're a student, you, your, your job is to work hard as a student, right? So, so this applies to us no matter what. And here's the thing. We spend so much time working, don't we? I mean, think about it. What? At least about 60, 70% of your time is, is doing your work, whatever it is. Shouldn't that matter to God? Shouldn't you be able to spend that time doing things that you sense and know and feel that God is smiling at because of the work you're doing and the way you're doing it? Right? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if all God really cared about was the missions and the church and that kind of stuff, that would be a tragedy. We want to honor God. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us a, a biblical overview of work, just a kind of run through of, of work. And then I want to talk about uh, eight different motivations that we could have in our work. Um, and then uh, we'll kind of try to apply that a little bit, okay? So first, biblical overview of work. Uh, the first thing to know as you just think about uh, the Bible and what it has to say about work is that God is a worker, right? Genesis 1 and 2, God is working. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, right? He spends a number of days forming these environments. He spends a number of days filling these environments. He, he speaks and creates, and therefore he works, right? He makes Man and woman in his image. He is a worker. Ephesians 2.10 says that Christians are God's workmanship. His, his poetry is what that Greek word has the idea of. His workmanship, his craftsmanship. Christians are God's workmanship which he has created to do good work. So God inherently is a worker. Second thing is that God made human beings in his image and therefore we are workers. You don't need to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 1, I'll turn there, this is at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. Then in Genesis 2.15 it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God made human beings in his image as workers to work. Now get this, this means that work was in God's perfect world before sin. So if you've ever thought, oh, work, man, I can't wait till I get to heaven. I don't have to work anymore. <laughs> eh. Right, if you've ever thought, man, work is just such a, this is obviously, you know, this came in after sin. No, it didn't. Work is good. You were created by God to work. Right? God worked for six days and he rested for one. So we should do the same. We should work. We should work a lot. We should rest. We're made in God's image to work. Now here, here's, here's the thing. Sin does come into the world in Genesis chapter 3. And it's interesting because when sin comes into the world, we see that sin curses and confuses our understanding of work. Sin cursed and confused our understanding of work. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read this uh, to you. Genesis chapter 3. 
this is the, the curse that God gives to Adam. He says, and, uh, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Here's what God's saying. God's saying, Adam, hey, you you were already there working the ground, keeping it. But now work's going to get harder. Now work's going to get more difficult. Now thorns are going to be involved. Now things are going to be more complicated. And so if you would go, man, work is just so difficult. It's so hard. Every time you think that, you should think to yourself, that's because I'm a sinner. Work would not be so difficult if sin were not involved in the mix. Here's how Tommy Nelson, he's an author and a pastor in Texas, here's how he says it. He says, we were made for work. Part of the image of God in us is the desire to create and produce. That's why work can be so fulfilling and exciting. It touches a part of us that is deeply divine. At the same time, work is also flawed. The earth does not yield itself to us like it did before the fall. We no longer work in a perfect world. Work is hard because the world and its people are not the way they were meant to be. Work has become a minefield of potential broken relationships, materialistic temptations, prideful ambitions, and poor ethical decisions. Work can still be a blessing, but too often it becomes a curse. So you get this? Work is not bad, right? Work is Good, all right? On the count of three, we're going to say that together, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Work is good. One more time. Work is good. That sounds great. Right? Get into your office tomorrow and go, work is good. Right? This is, this is, by the way, this is just a great topic, right? I think if you're at a, at a Super Bowl thing tonight and someone says, hey, what have you been up to this week? You tell them, I went to church this morning and they talked about work. And they'll go, what? Work. Because here's the thing, most Christians, most people have never heard a sermon about work. Why? Because pastors are very good at equipping people to do stuff in the church. Very bad at encouraging you to go honor God outside the church. Trying to do something about that. So God's a worker. We're made in God's image to work. Sin comes in, it curses, it confuses that. Here's a, a fourth thing just to realize, to remember, is that Jesus himself worked for a long time prior to his public ministry. Most scholars estimate that Jesus began his public ministry in his early 30s. He spent about a thousand days in that ministry before he died and rose again, right? So Jesus had a thousand days to save the world. And in all likelihood, from about the age 13 or 14 until the age 30, Jesus worked as an apprentice under his father and then his earthly father, Joseph, and then as a carpenter himself. So think about that. A thousand days to save the world, and you spend a decade and a half carving wood, wiping sawdust off your brow, filling orders, dealing with customers. Why? Because work is good. God's a worker. Jesus himself was a worker. Here's the last part of this, is that able-bodied Christians are expected to work to provide for their needs. 2 Thessalonians 3 says that if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. 
This is actually an amazing thing. So, right, this, the key here is able-bodied Christians. If you're able to work, if you uh, have, have that capability, and, and you're in, in deep physical need, like maybe not the ability to eat, what this letter from Paul says is that if someone has the capability of work and they're not, and they're hungry as a result of it, Christians, don't feed them. Don't give them compassion. Don't give them mercy. If they're not willing to work, they shouldn't eat. Does that feel a little harsh to you? Yeah. Feel a little like, oh, that doesn't feel very Christ-like. But here's the deal. That just shows you how seriously we're called to work. And again, maybe your work doesn't earn you a paycheck, but you're a worker. You're made in God's image. It's why people who don't do anything productive for long stretches of time get really unhappy. You go, I can't imagine that. I'd love to be unproductive for a long period of time. <laughs> but talk to most, uh, most people, especially guys, right after they retire. It's hard. There's a few weeks where it's like, oh, this is great. And then it's like, what am I going to do with my life? Why? Because you're made to be a worker. So that's an overview of, of work. So what I want to give you now is I want to give you uh, eight motivations to work, eight possible motivations, in fact, eight biblical motivations to work. These are things that could inspire you, that could motivate you to do your work. Now, here's what I want to tell you before I get into these. Uh, first is that Scripture affirms all of these motivations that I'm going to share with you. Each one of these that I'm going to share with you is a biblical motivation. It's a good motivation, okay? Now, I think they go in sort of ascending uh, levels of, of how much it can inspire and mean to you. But, but Scripture affirms all of these. Uh, the more of these eight motivations that are present in your work, the more motivated you'll be about your job and the more productive you'll be. Right? So, so if there's more of these, it, it will help you. The more of these motivations you have about your work, the bigger perspective you'll have. And the, the fewer things can come into your work that rattle you and make you go, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And the more success you have in implementing these motivations, the happier you'll be, the more you'll enjoy your work. All right, you ready? Eight motivations. Here's the first one. I have to. That's a good motivation. All right, here's the verse. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, I have to. I, I need to eat something. I need to keep living. I need clothes. I need a place to stay. I need food in my stomach. I have to work in order to get that. That's an entirely good motivation. Second motivation, to meet my needs and the needs of my family. That's a good motivation. First Timothy 5 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You thought the other thing was harsh. Do you hear what he's saying? If you have the capability of providing for your family and you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. So a very good motivation then is, I want to meet the needs of myself and my family. That's a, good, that's a good motivation. If you go to work every day going, I'm providing for my family. Great. Do that. If you're a mom and you're at home and you're saying, the way I steward these resources helps, helps us uh, sustain and, and provide for us longer. That's good. That honors God. Third motivation. I desire a certain standard of living. That's okay, right? We all have dreams for our future. Those dreams can be motivating. 
right? This is saying, I'd like to be able to provide things beyond just the ability to eat and have clothes and a place to stay. I'd like to have some other good things that God has created and have them in my life. That's, that's an entirely appropriate thing. It says in Ecclesiastes, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this also is the gift of God. Every good and perfect thing is from above. And so if you have material goods and you can enjoy them and you can honor God in them, that's a good thing. And to desire a certain standard of living, great. Fourth motivation, I can earn money that I can give to help others. Right here you begin to ask, how can the fruit of my labors help other people? I don't just wanna provide for me and I don't just wanna necessarily provide for my family's needs and I don't just wanna provide for my wants but I wanna bless other people with with the resources that that work gives me. Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's good to share our resources with people. Number five, fifth motivation, I can earn money to give that would help advance the gospel on earth. This is a good motivation. Say, I can, I can make money, I can provide for myself, provide for my family, provide for some of our wants, I can bless other people, I can give towards things that specifically advance the gospel. I can give to missions, I can give to my church, I can give to the person who discipled me in college with, with intervarsity. I can give to those things. That's a great motivation. Number six, I desire to accomplish something meaningful. Right, here's the point at which your job, your work, begins to really take on some personal significance. It's not just what you can provide for yourself or others, but it's that you enjoy doing the work itself. And and you know, as well as I do, that oftentimes people who can find a job like that will be willing to take less money because doing something that's meaningful, doing something you enjoy, doing something that brings you great satisfaction, that is a good and honorable thing. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, there's nothing better for a person that that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Seventh motivation, I do something at work that is beneficial and meaningful to others. Right, so it's not just now that I enjoy the work and that it's meaningful to me and that gives me satisfaction, but that what I do actually is meaningful and beneficial to other people. Again, not just in providing money, but in the work itself, right? This is what Mike shared about a moment ago when he said that he imitates God by rescuing, right? He's able to do work that is meaningful to other people when they encounter a problem because of their use of the software and they're rescued from it. That's incredibly meaningful. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And indeed, work is a gift. We use it to steward, to bless other people. Here's the last motivation. I can serve and glorify God in my work and spiritually impact people by the way I go about my work. Get this. This means you're motivated spiritually, not just after your work. Like, I'm going to get through the day and then I'm going to go to my Bible study at all, man, then I'll really honor God. This is saying, no, in my work itself, I can honor God. In my work itself, I can glorify God. People should be able to see my work 
and give glory to God in heaven. That's the idea of this last one. This is an incredible way uh, to work, an incredible motivation. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily. That means with all your heart. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You know what he's saying there? You're not working for yourself. You're not working for your boss. You're working for Jesus. Would you do what you do, the way you do it, with the attitude you do it, if Jesus were your boss? If your answer is yes, then number eight, you're applying it. You're motivated by it. And it can bring incredible meaning and significance to your work. So what I want to do is I want to camp for the rest of the time that we have. I want to camp on that last one, on number eight. Because I already said, I, I think a lot of Christians, we say all of life is all for Jesus, but really what we mean is the church and the mission people, they're better. God's happier with them. I've already said, that's, that's not true. Right? Whatever you do, Paul says here in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work hard as you can because God's your boss. He'll be happy if you work hard. Okay, so we've talked about that. But here's the other thing. I think most Christians, when, when you were to say, how does your faith integrate with your work? I think for most Christians, it really only comes down to two things. It comes down to, I can make money to give to the church, which is kind of code for saying, I can make money to give to the stuff that really matters. Or people say, well, my job gives me an opportunity to build relationships with non-Christians who I can tell about Jesus. Who thinks that both of those are good things? You're, now you're like, I'm not sure, is that good? No, th those are both good things. It's good to make money and give it to advance the gospel. It's good to think about the relationships in your life that God has put around you and to be a good witness and to speak boldly about Christ when you have the opportunity. Those are good things. But here's what I want to tell you based on this eighth motivation. If you never gave to the church and you never talked to anyone about Jesus you could still honor God in your job now get this I hope you'll give to the church I hope you'll talk to people about Jesus but if you never did the work itself can still honor God you go how Let's put that eighth motivation back on the screen. I can serve and glorify God in my work and spiritually impact people by the way I go about my work. All right, so finally, this takes us to the verse we read a while ago, Ephesians 5.1. Some of you maybe read that. You go, I thought we were talking about work. This doesn't have anything to do with work. Look at your Bible, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Find it again. Ephesians 5.1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. How can we serve and glorify God in our work? Answer, imitate God in your work. Imitate him. Right? This is often one of the most overlooked ways that we can glorify God. It's just imitating God, trying to do what God does. Right, God is a worker, we're made in his image, we should do what God does. Right, think about this. People, people often say, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. 
right? What are they saying? They're saying, if you, if you right, not mockingly imitate someone, which we like to do, but if you, if you kindly and warmly and about your life go, I want to be like them, that honors them. That reflects to them, right? One of my favorite examples of this, this is a few years ago now, and especially because this, this verse, I'll, I'll tell you that story in a minute, but this verse says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you know what that's saying? It's saying you were made in the image of God, do what he does. And not just that you were made in the image of God, but if you're a follower of Christ, which this part of Ephesians is addressed to, these, Paul's writing here to Christians, he's saying you are now not just the image bearers of God, you are the children of God. By faith in Jesus Christ, you've been adopted into God's family, and you are now his child. So you are to bear the family resemblance. You are to do the family work. A few years, years ago, I, I just there were all these times when I would kind of listen in to the playroom in our house, and I would hear our my oldest two daughters, I'd hear them playing, and they'd be playing preacher. <laughs> or, uh, you know, someone would, you know, Abby would, would uh, go up on this, the stage in the playroom and say, hi, welcome to Redemption Church Gateway. Please get your program out. Uh, the bottom part is a connection card for you to easily detach, right? And she had the whole thing. Why? Because she's my daughter. Kaylin's my daughter. They, they watch what I do, especially at this age, right? This may change, but at this age, they, they look up to it. They esteem it. So when it's time to play, play around, what do we do? We, we, let's imitate dad. But what does that do? That, that, that honors me. That warms my heart as a dad. Or you can think of examples in your own life when your kids tried to dress up like you or tried to pretend that they were driving like you. Sometimes these get scary. <laughs> You're like, where'd you learn that? From you, Dad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, but that's what this is saying. Here's what this is saying. God is not up in heaven like, oh my gosh. When are you going to become a missionary? <laughs> this pilot thing, it's got to stop. Like, oh, really, you sell cars? Get into ministry already. Right? That's not how God feels. God is your father. If you're in Christ, he's your dad. My parents loved my whole life to watch me do stuff. Right? I was in plays, and they would come to my plays. I was in sports, and they would come to my sports. Even this past Christmas Eve, we had three Christmas, or, yeah, three Christmas Eve services, and my mom was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to be there for all of them. Like, That's going to be boring. Why would you do that? She was like, I like watching you. Why? Because she's my mom, and she loves me. And God is your father, and he loves you. And he's not waiting for you to get a more important job. What he wants you to do is imitate him in your job. Do your work the way he would do your work. With the kind of creativity and intentionality and focus and care and long-term planning and wisdom and intelligence and skill and advice and all of those things. Do it that way. Be an imitator of God as dearly beloved children. How do you do that? What's that look like? 
Well, that's why under your, uh, under your seat, we put this sheet. And I'm not going to have you go through this right this second, but I want you to have this. And this is your homework for, for uh, the week. You don't have to turn it in. But it is for you, and it would be a wonderful thing um, for you to go through and maybe even add to. Maybe put it in a place in your car on your way to work or uh, at, at, on the changing table, you know, <laughs> or in the laundry room or wherever it is that you find yourself doing work. Here's what it is, 26 ways to imitate God in work. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not the only 26 ways. This is just what I came up with, what I brainstormed and then uh, someone else added a couple of them for me. You could add much more, but here's the idea, that you could go through this and you could say, okay, my job requires interdependence. Okay, God exists in interdependence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, depending on one another, honoring one another, communicating with one another, right? The Son coming to do the Father's will, the Spirit coming to reflect the glory of the Son, this interdependence, this teamwork, okay? So when I do my job with interdependence, with teamwork, I am imitating God. I'm imitating my Father. Or maybe you say protection, keeping people, resources safe from harm, especially when they're vulnerable. That's what God does. God's a protector, the scripture says. So when you protect, when you protect data, when you protect people in a riot situation, if you're in law enforcement, when you're doing protection, you're imitating God. Right? You can go through this list, and that's just what I'd love you to do this week, is to go through it and to put check marks next to all the different things that are part of your job. Now, not all of these will apply to every person. But I'll bet that number of them will. And if you think about these, and if you pay attention to these, here's what you'll find. You will find that your work is more meaningful, that you see it, not just in lip service, saying all of life is all for Jesus, but you will begin to see how your work really does imitate God and bring him joy. Let me just close by asking you this. Can you imagine how much better work would be if everyone was doing it trying to imitate God? Can you imagine how much happier and fulfilled you would be if you did your work trying to imitate God? If rather than it just being about the money or just being about, you know, I got to go talk to these people, rather than getting swept up in all the stuff that the world gets swept up in when it comes to work, if you had a, a motivation that said, I'm going to go to work today and I'm going to do it orderly. I'm going to organize the resources in a way that maximize the people around me. That reflects God. I'm going to do that faithfully. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to go for it. You'll have a good day. Let's work like that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for work. It's a great gift from you. We thank you for it. We pray that we could reflect and honor you in it. God, I pray that even uh, this week as we reflect on these things, that you would uh, help us to see that our work really does matter to you and it matters greatly. In Jesus' name, amen.